0: When it was evening, he reclined at table with the 12. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it,
1: Uh, One of the great things about being a human is this gift that God gave us of language. We have a capacity more than all the other creatures on the earth. All the creatures have some means of communicating. For some of them, it's just a grunt. For some of them, it's just uh, doing patterns on some tree somewhere. But humans have this incredible facility of language whereby we have developed so we can talk about talking about talking about what it language is. We can abstract to the highest level and we can write it down and we can listen to it. And, And as I've said many times before, there's a lot of neurons firing in my brain right now. And through this magical gift of language, similar neurons in your brain are also firing off, maybe in the same way, which is often a point of language or communication. How many of you have ever heard of Dr. Seuss? Good. He's an Oxford grad, I want you to know that. His books have sold 600 million copies. One of his books, and one is favorite for me, is Green Eggs and Ham. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's a classic. It came out in 1960. Um, I happened to be in Montreal. Um, and I was, it was a wet day, and I was visiting my daughter, Rebecca, and I went into one of these cafes, of which Montreal is full. And on the menu, sure enough, green eggs and ham. So, like, it didn't seem right to me, like in the book. I'm not sure I want to try that. So I looked at it. I saw it on the menu, I talked to the one of the servers, and he or she said to me, well, it's hard to describe, actually. It's really, and this is my point, speech is limited. Sometimes the words just don't do the thing justice. And so I said, okay, I'm going to try it. You said, just try it. Just taste it. So here it is. Here it came. It was fabulous. I can't describe it. You have to actually taste it or eat it. Um, My wife, among her—she's not listening here, probably not— but amongst her multitude of gifts, what God has gifted her, She has many gifts. She spent a lifetime developing most of them. One of them is gardening. Gardening is important. Remember, after the resurrection, one of the Marys thought Jesus was the gardener. However, she thought that, where he was, what he was doing, how he was dressed. But one of the gifts my wife has is being a gardener. And she's developed it, and it's getting stronger and more beautiful every year. So what happens? We get up in the morning. If it's not raining, she's out watering. She loves to water. It's an addiction for her. Even when it rains, she goes out and waters. But she'll come in and say to me, Russ, you've got to come and see this. I said, what is it, Russ? Just come and see it. And it's true. I go out, and there it is. My eyes, the photons, my receptors, my brain is just going crazy with, with, with some artistic beauty that poetry is the closest thing we have. You know, a William Wordsworth or whatever trying to describe this field of poppies or tulips or daffodils. There it is. Come and see. And I go, and yeah. Yeah. Yes! This is actually more than words could describe. And the thing is, we get this at an early age. If you've ever, if someone tries to describe to you a, Like a fruit fondue. It's not going to do it right. It's not going to do it right. You got to actually get in there and get it done. And we've got this little funny tradition in our home. And I know it's not good for you Christians who are very kind of straight laced and maybe from the UK, but we have this tradition you know, this is a big circle thing, this is in the center and everyone's around and and I find it difficult because I've got to butt in actually to actually get access so I sit back and everyone laughs at me trying to be whatever whatever I'm doing but I'm doing the wrong thing so but if you go in and you dip your little fork or your spear in the fruit and then you dip it into the chocolate and in that process of bringing that luscious fruit to your mouth. Doesn't matter if you spill it, but if it drops, if it, you don't make it, and mango is the most tasty and the most difficult thing to get right. If you miss it, you've got to kiss the person on your left or your right. You got a choice. So that's just part of our sensual thing. And I'm just trying to say one thing in all this lead-up. And so if I say this thing, I don't want you to forget it. It is my strong conviction, and it's with some bias. Put that right out there. That if you have any interest, or you feel God is calling you, you want to know Christ. You want to understand His sufferings and the glories that followed you want to be filled up with the knowledge of him who fills all in all you want to as albert said get hold of the only promise that is eternal and satisfying the biggest of all ideas if you want to do that you've got to you've you've got to actually come to the table you've got to experience the Eucharist, the communion, the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, whatever, whatever little tag you want to give it, you've got to come and see. You've got to come and dine. I can't explain it to you. It's something remember there's the logos the Word became flesh, and Jesus came into a spot with people, and he said, come and dine. So that is just so dang mystical. And you may not believe it. You might believe, no, 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 I've got to do my Bible study. No, 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 I've, I've devoted this whole month to fasting. No, no, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm praying now. My big thing is prayer and entering in. Those are all great things. Singing, worshiping, great. I'm trying to convince you, give you a sales job, because I'm not sure whether we're convinced of this. There's reasons for it. There's the pulpit, remember? There's the pulpit over here. We used to have a pulpit, by the way, as do all Protestant churches, actually. And then the real good ones, the preacher wears a robe as he goes up. And there used to be a Bible on our table. This is our table, by the way. The table, the supper, the Lord's table, that's it. And it used to be here, and there was a Bible on it. So we have these pillars in our church, preaching. Fantastic. And I think the Protestant... Movement. this is one of the great things that they uncovered, is the Word of God for, for all the people. Reading it in our own language and hearing it preached on a regular basis is fantastic. But there's the supper. There's the table. There's the thing that Jesus wanted us, He earnestly wanted us to do it. So that's it. You don't need to hear any more, but... Uh, I'm going to add a little bit more because I've I've been commissioned by the elders to go through this thing. But that's what I want to leave with you. And I don't know if you're convinced or not. And if you're just investigating Jesus, this is good. Come. Come. See what's going on. See if you can taste and see what's going on with God's people around the table. That's what was happening in the early church, by the way. People were coming and getting saved by by experiencing this, this thing. You call it an ordinance, whatever. Some people call it a sacrament. I know why they do that. We'll get into that. So that's it. I want you to taste and see that the Lord is good in the table. In history... Um, There was the Feast of the Passover, and Jesus actually was eating the Passover with his friends. And remember the origin of the Passover? God's people are in bondage for a long time, down in Egypt, slaves, no rights, doing hard labor. And God said to the Pharaoh, let my people go. He had a plan, and it was time for them to get out. And the plagues came, and they came, and they came, and Pharaoh vacillated, and eventually God gave the great plague. And this is terrible. But God said, I'm going to go over your spaces. I'm going to go over your land, your streets, your villages. And there's going to be an angel of death, it's supernatural, and as the angel of death, like a plague, goes over, this is tough. Many of you are parents. Many of you have a firstborn child. You know what that means to you, and God's punishment, this is tough, but he was going to smite all the firstborn but those of his own those who he loved in a special way not by anything they'd done not by anything by how strong they were or by their servitude nothing like that he said what i want you to do is get blood take a lamb slay the lamb and with that blood i want you just to paint it put it In your house, on your tent. Paint it. This is all so symbolic. And this is part of the culture of that day, by the way. It meant something to these people to sacrifice animals. Get the blood, and you paste it over. And as the angel goes over your house, because I love you, because I'm making a promise with you, you will be saved. You and your whole house. The plague will pass over you. And it happened. After that, the people did leave. But not without punishment and judgment. But God's people were saved. Because they did what he wanted them to do. And so, as part of the Jewish culture to this day, they celebrate the Passover. And they have symbols. Maybe you've taken part of a Seder meal. It's, it's pretty cool. I think we should all do it. But certainly there's bread that Jesus had at the Last Supper, and the bread, of course, is unleavened, not like the stuff that we have, more like a cracker with no salt on it. And uh, it, it was to remind them that when they took off, they couldn't be baking bread. Because if you br- bake bread, you know, it, it takes maybe a whole day for that chemistry to do the good stuff. You had to just take off. And then there was the blood, which reminded them of this this promise to be, that I'm going to save you. So over the years, this has been celebrated in different ways. Um, In biblical times, they would do this lamb thing, and they would have it, and they would cook it and eat it. And then in the time of Jesus, it was, like, it was more like what the Romans would do in, in their feasts. You'd have a lot of food. You'd have a table. You'd be sitting around, lounging around, around this table and eating and telling stories and discussing. And so this is the form of the Passover that Jesus executed with his own people. And as it went on, Um, The Jewish people, as they do it even today, see it as kind of a sort of an exodus, uh, God saving them. So here's a scene maybe from the last century, and everyone gets involved, and the kids read, and there's a lot of kind of meditation, reading the Old Testament. So that's what Jesus was doing. This is just part of the narrative. And it's a good thing for you to think about. Um, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. One feature of that, which if you want to get a better snapshot, John's gospel is good for this particular one. Um, it, just, it describes the apostle who he loved, which was John's way of talking about himself. It talks about him kind of being close to Jesus. He was right next to him. And as you probably know, that's kind of an honoring thing if, if it's your friend or if it's your dad, if it's your brother, and you haven't seen them in a long time and you want to sit down at a meal, it's nice to be close to them. John was right next to Jesus. Listening. And uh, being able maybe to hear his breath. So, Jesus says, go out, and we need to prepare this uh, place. And you can see here, in a sense, some of the sovereignty of Jesus coming forward here. His omniscience, his omnipotence, in a sense, he just says. In the other Gospels, it's way, way (laughs) kind of more spectacular. Like, okay, go out, and as you get down there, at the end of Brencliffe, where all the cranes are, you're going to see a workman. He's coming out of Tim Hortons, and, he's, and he doesn't have a double-double. No, he's got Tim Bits. You follow him into the job site, and there on the fourth floor of the condo, there's already a place all set up. It, it was like that. And, and, and you, just get, you just get a little breath <laughs> of the of the omnipotence and the deity of Jesus, that he's he's able to do these things, and so there was a large upper room, all ready to go. So I just I think this is a good detail, and I know some Christians, and I'm going to sort of allude to that, uh, make make this kind of a little bit special uh, when they think they're copying what Jesus and the disciples did. So they went and they prepared the Passover. So there they are. This is the famous painting, Leonardo of the Last Supper. Jesus sort of in the middle, his kind of reckoning, lots of discussion going on, lots of debate about which of these people was Judas. Um, And at that time, Jesus says another thing, which is, I think, uh, frightening, fearful, and certainly his friends were a bit fearful. This is maybe not the time when you actually give out such news, but he did, and it was simply that one of the twelve, one who'd been with him and privileged, and now at, at, at the place, he said, one of you. Is actually going to be the agent whereby I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to be turned over and he'd already told them that he was going to have this happen to him and he was going to uh, uh, die and he was going to be buried and that he was going to rise again but now he's saying one of you is going to be the agent and um, of course his friends as as you would do, I think, as I would do. Uh oh. Is it me? I think we all have this idea that we know there's stuff we've done that maybe we wouldn't want God to know. And so they're all now looking at him. They're all looking at they're all looking at themselves, and he says, he says whoever it was who dipped Dipped, you know, you shared food back then. It wasn't like a British thing where you have your own separate plate. and it was a lot of sharing, like the Ethiopians do. He was dipped his hand in the dish with me, will betray me. And then he makes the statement, The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Woe. It would have been better that that man not been born and Judas. And I don't know whether he did this privately. I don't think they had cell phones where he could text to Jesus. But he just said, is it I? Jesus, in his way, all the time he's doing this indirect talk. He says, you have said so. And it says in other Gospels that Judas went out. And it was, it's John's gospel again, and it was night. It was dark. Um, I don't have a lot of stuff to say about this, except when I, whenever I hear of the next person, the next, because if someone's famous, you hear about them more often, but whenever I hear about the next Christian artist, or... Uh, Christian missionary, or Christian worker, or pastor, or just ordinary Christian, whenever I hear about them being deconverted, and coming to light, coming to a new light about what it means to be a human, and really what the Christian faith is about, and kind of stripping themselves of all of what the church was for them, and explaining that they are now enlightened, and denying Jesus' deity, denying his life, denying his resurrection, whenever—and I, I like to ask them, are you sure? Um, your questions you have. Do you, think, do you think you're the first person to think about the problem of evil? Do you think you're the first person to understand that maybe miracles and science have a little bit of a hard time getting along? Do you think that you actually have more insight than the great philosophers of the medieval age or even the modern philosophers? Do you think that you're the first person to have this problem? And what about the resurrection? What do you make of it? Forget about all the Christians and all the stupid things they do and all the hypocrisy and all that. Forget about it. And the Crusades and the Reformation and the burnings, forget about it. What do you think about the resurrection? It's, it is a fearful thing to come into the hands of the living God and turn your back on him. That's all I'm going to say about that. So Jesus takes the bread, and he kind of he starts to give these, these elements new meanings. Remember, this was the thing, what they would take and remember their exodus and how fast they had to run only take what was on their back and just get out of there he says this is my body tangible thing he uses this bread and says hey I am someone who is with you I am God in the flesh and then he takes the cup which was a reminder of the blood that was on the doorposts, and he says drink it as they would normally do. And then he says this one. He gives this entirely new meaning. He says, this is the blood of the covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So the blood represented a promise. And in their minds, um, they might have been thinking, about in Exodus when there was blood in a covenant, but it was like this. Here's the law. Here are the instructions. Here are, here's my guidebook for you to live well and live with me and enjoy me. All you've got to do is read it and follow it. Are you prepared to do that? And they came around and they said, yeah. And he said, okay, I'm going to bless you. So there was animals, and he got the blood, and he figuratively sprinkled them with this blood. Of course, the other side of that coin was, if they messed up, which they did, they were going to be sent off. They were going to suffer. They were going to actually lose the blessing. That's what the covenant used to sound like and used to look like but in that old testament there was another covenant the new covenant which was i think more enlightened and more in tune to actually who humans are we can we can't keep laws we can't keep the laws of the road we can't keep the laws of the school we can't keep the laws of our house in terms of going in and hanging stuff up and don't walk in your shoes, and we certainly can't keep even our own moral laws that we expect others to follow. Jeremiah talks about another covenant where actually the law is going to be in one's heart. It's going to be part of your organic being. It's going to be like my son David, though he's in New Zealand, and I haven't seen him, and I love him. He is my son. That will never, ever, ever change. doesn't matter what he does. Rebecca, she's my youngest. She's my daughter. Her life and David's life is chalk and cheese. Totally different. But in our organic being, we are a family, and I am their and part of this new covenant is forgiveness. The other one that Moses did, there's no forgiveness. You, you transgress, you jump in the pool when you're not supposed to, you're kicked out of the pool, as it used to happen to us in Heron Park. The whistle goes, you get out of the pool, and you wait. If you go in too early, you get chucked out. It's just the way it was. This is... This is the new covenant. This is a covenant of forgiveness. When Jesus is going to take all of the load, all of the lifting, all of the breaking of the law that we do and will do, Jesus has taken that on himself for us. And the covenant, as we say here every week, is eternal. It's eternal. We are in it right now. If you come to Jesus, you will be part of this new family with a new essence, with a new deal, and that is He will never leave you or forsake you. And He promises you eternal life which begins now. And He promises you to be with you in that dark place. I want to finish with just some thoughts about The Supper. Um, As you read through the New Testament, you realize the way that they celebrated the Supper is way different than how we do it. They were more like what they were doing in Jesus' time. It, it, It was a meal, and they branded it as a love feast. And all the scholars, doesn't matter whether you're Orthodox or Catholic or Presbyterian or Evangelical, they all agree with this. The early church, if you want to be like them, you would have it as a meal. And there would be your family there. And as part of that, you would take the bread and eat it, and take the wine and drink it, remembering his sufferings and the glories that followed. This was the love feast. That's how they used to do it. And when you read about doing it in an unworthy manner, just that some people were not doing it um, the right way. They were maybe getting drunk. They were maybe just pigging out because it was free food. Um, That's what Paul was referring to. Or, you know, like, wait for one another. Like, just don't do it just with your family. Wait for the church to come. So this was the love feast, and uh, it did go out of vogue, let's say, early. Uh, this, this is how the Orthodox Church does the Lord's Supper, like this. Um, I happened to just drop in on a reformed <laughs> Russian Orthodox Church downtown. Now, they're, they reform because the Orthodox Church has gone heretical on them, so the Russian Orthodox. So they formed their own little Orthodox church, and I went in there, and this was the most spectacular, uh, sensual Lord's Supper I'd ever seen in my entire life. The most amazing thing was the contrast. You had a gymnasium, as you can see. It was Spartan. Only the elderly could sit on benches on the side. Everyone else was standing. And they would go up and down and kneeling and up and down. I was there for 10 minutes, up and down 15 times on their knees, in their suits, women covered, men on one side, women on the other, and up front, smoke and mirror and lights and atonal singing and in and out and roundabout. And I happened to see the priest on the way out, and he said, This is not our high Easter service. This is just in preparation. This is how the Orthodox Church um, celebrates communion. And if you were to convert to become an Orthodox believer, as some of my friends have, uh, you'd have to get recatechized doesn't matter if you've been to seminary, or you've been a missionary, or you've been following the Lord for N years. They want you to become uh, orthodox. And so you can't take part. You've got to sit at the back. Their table is not open. But it's there, and it's been there for over a thousand years. Uh, this, is the, this is how the Church of Rome does things. They have their Masses, they have their Eucharist every day. You can go several times a day. The doors are open in most Catholic churches, and they believe in the, um, the real presence. They believe in the Blessed Sacrament. And if you are a Catholic... Um, You'd get a certificate like this. This is my mom's certificate, which she got in Stornoway, Saskatchewan, from the rite of the Greek Catholic Church, signed by some Russian Greek who came to Saskatchewan. This is mine here. This is from the Serene Teresa's Church, Shrine of the Little Flower on Kingston Road. I was born in that area, and I was baptized a few months later. And by this baptism and confirmation, I was confirmed uh, afterward in Montreal, I'm a member of the Catholic Church, and I am saved by and through the Church. And they believe that the Eucharist becomes, becomes the actual body and blood of Jesus. And that there is salvation through that. And that's why it's a sacerdotal thing. They believe in the sacraments. There is a saving part of it. And I know that some of us here are Tolkien fans. And he was a great fan, by the way, of the Blessed Sacrament. And wrote to his family. In the Blessed Sacrament, you will find romance. Glory honor, fidelity, and the true way of all your loves upon earth, and more than that. So there are Catholics, there are Protestants who have converted to Catholicism, and this is how they do it. I am a baptized Catholic. I have the right and privilege of participating in the Eucharist. If you're not baptized, you can't come. If you're not confirmed, you can't come. I think it's clear from you that I don't choose to do this. But I have to respect this. I'm sorry to say that. I have to respect this. Because before the Reformation, this is how all Christians everywhere celebrated the supper. So you've got to do something with that. I myself don't believe it or else I would be there. I would. Um, Time is going. This is more like how we celebrate the Lord's Supper. I was saved into a movement of Plymouth Brethren, Christian Brethren, um, who, like the Orthodox in the one half, believed in as spartan as possible, as just no frills as Possible And for your information, this where you're sitting is an add-on. The first Christians who started Leaside Bible Chapel only had the upper room, up there. That's all there was. And there was some preaching there, but that's where they celebrated the supper. every week, and it was kind of symbolic. You're in the upper room and it's Spartan, and you have a table, and you have bread and wine, and the idea, and as I say, I'm biased, this is the thing that God saved me into from the Catholic Church. And it's, it's been home for me. It worked for me. We just met a few of us in a rented space in a, in a public school library. And there was whatever, maybe five families and a few... You teenagers and hippies, and it was that was just it. There was no preacher. And the idea here originally was that the table was open. Leave, do your thing, and on a Sunday we're gonna all get together the Orthodox, the Catholic, the Baptist preacher, the Reformed Presbyterian. Let's just get together simply and celebrate the unity we have in Christ by breaking bread and drinking the cup together. Let's throw away our dog collars. Let's throw away um, our seminary training and let's, let's have the priest and the farmer and the businessmen, all of us, celebrating this communion thing. That's, what, that's how it started. And for a while, it was beautiful. It didn't work, of course. I mean, it, it broke down because people began to fence this thing and say that you can't come. Um, this is what God wants us to do. This, we want, he wants us to come and dine. It's really good that in the end, the image that we're going to be doing anyway is a banquet feast. So the supper is like a little foretaste of that. And I want you to believe it. I want all of us at Trinity Grace Church to be huge on the Lord's Supper. Because Jesus says to us, this is huge. And it is, the, it is one, of the, one of the only things that the church has always done. Everywhere, in all times, in all places, and languages and cultures, they've always done this. So the church got that part right. And in the end, if you were to go to Ghent, Belgium, and go to St. Bath's, cathedral. Uh, they have this piece of art, and it's kind of a whole panel of things, but this is sort of front and center. They, this isn't the altar, though they kind of call it that, but here is a painting by a Flemish guy who tries to capture the end with all the nations and all of the popes and prophets and everyone, and they're, and they're, and they're worshiping a lamb who was slain, Um, they're trying to get this essence of what it means to enjoy and to taste and see. In the end of Jesus' life, after he's resurrected, he does a really interesting thing. They've all gone back to fishing. Maybe, Maybe the resurrection wasn't enough for them. Maybe Jesus had gone away or something. And so they are out fishing. and They haven't had a good time. Jesus has bought some fish. He's on the shore. He's making a breakfast. He's got his charcoal. He's got his lumber. He's got something to, he's got a grill. And he fries up, He bakes up some fish. And he sees them and he calls them. And they recognize him, and he says, "Come and dine." And on their own, they didn't do very well. You know, fishing it takes a long time, and sometimes, as Yoshi will tell you, you get skunked after being out for hours, coming in, change the net due to the sovereign will and purposes of God, and have a huge draft of fish, 153. And the blessing is just too much for them to handle. <laughs> I'm sorry for the imagery, but it's just, it's just lovely. And it's, it's, it's a foretaste. Jesus said to them, come and dine. And none of them asked him, who, who are you? Knowing... That it was the Lord. I trust that these thoughts are going to encourage us to, to uh, come and dine on the Lord in this way that He has left for us. And I commend the elders here at our church for making this central in our meetings that's good. It's good. Let's not, let's not miss out. Let's taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen.